0: We have been discussing um, two parts of tfila, which is considered to be our klezayin, one of the weapons that we do battle with. One part of tefillah is uh, shevach, praise to our Baruch Hu, and the other is bakasha, is requests, asking for things. Rinachman taught us in, um, in uh, Beis that one has to find the delicate balance between Shevach and Bakasha in terms of one's tefillahs. Because if you emphasize one um, at the expense of the other, you could run the risk of, um, of losing interest in tefillah in its entirety. Why? Because if a person emphasizes Shevach too much, which is praising HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or kind of accepting, um, you know, blindly... What you have is being perfect, being completely satisfied with that. Well, then what's the impetus to daven? Um, what's the reason for davening? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the whole world is perfect. Everything they gave me is perfect. You blindly accept that. What's the reason to daven? So if you emphasize that too heavily, you could run the risk of losing interest in davening in its entirety. Um, and that's kind of like the Midas Hadin of davening. right? And, and, uh, I, I accept what HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given me, and that's perfect. Well, then why would you daven? Um, that's why it has to be counterbalanced by the other part of tefillah, which is bakasha, which is a request. But if a person focuses too heavily on that, um, so then he could also undermine one of the you know, critical components that motivates tefillah. And that is because if a person focuses only on the transactional relationship of tefillah, I daven for things that I you know, want. Um, uh, you know, and he has kind of like the vending machine attitude to tefillah. You know, I push a button and something comes out. When he pushes the button and it doesn't come out, he's going to be disheartened, and he's going to lose interest in davening. Why should I continue davening again and again for this thing that Hashem is not giving me? Um, so, if you emphasize that too much, again, you could you could you could weaken your commitment or interest in davening, and therefore you have to have a balance constantly between the shevach of tefillah um, and the um, bakasha of tefillah. How do you find that balance? Where is that balance? The balance is well. I ask the Kodesh Baruch Hu for the things that I want, but I understand also, you know, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is perfect and that he will give it to me when he's ready, or when, you know, it makes sense. So if you have that balance between Bakasha, I ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu what I need, but at the same time I accept. So I ask a Baruch Hu kind of like the Midas HaChesed, I ask a Baruch Hu to bestow goodness upon me, uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the giver comes from Midas HaChesed, at the same time I balance that with Midas Hadin that will give it to me when I'm ready, then you know, but my tefillahs are still important in terms of unlocking those things that I want, so then you can maintain your commitment to tefillah if you have this equilibrium between shevach and balkash. Rabbi Nachman compared that to a sword. That's why he said tefillah is called a cher pifiyos adam is a double-edged sword that was in their hand, because there's a double edge to the sword of tefillah. Tefillah is one of our weapons that we do battle with, but there's two edges to it. Um, one is bakasha, the other is shevach, and they're both dangerous. I mean, if you sway the sword to either one way or the other too heavily, you exaggerate one at the expense of the other, you could run afoul of, you know, emphasizing tefillah in the proper way, or committing tefillah in the proper way, and that, that, could, be, that could be dangerous. However, then he continues, and Renachma tells us really a third track here in tefillah, which obviates the need, um, or, you know, makes it easier to find the balance, perhaps, between shevach and bakasha, and that is pursuing a tefillah that's motivated, or that's defined by an attitude of mishpat, Mishpat is, as opposed to din, which is laws, and chesed, which is kindness, mishpat is, is justice. Defining justice is something that has perplexed thinkers for generations. Plato devotes a whole section in the Republic to discussing what does justice um, mean. But, just for a working definition, it's kind of a harmony. A balance of everybody contributing that which they can, and then receiving that which they need in order to make that contribution or that which they morally deserve for that contribution. So mishpat really is a recognition that I have everything that I deserve or everything that I need in order to accomplish my mission. And approaching tefillah with that mindset is approaching tefillah with a mi- mindset of mishpat. And then that automatically balances out the scales between shevach and bakasha because I praise the Kodesh Baruch Hu for giving me everything that I need in order to accomplish my mission. How does one develop that? How do you cultivate an attitude of tefillah that's motivated um, or defined by mishpat? So Benachman claims that the way that you cultivate that, the way that you create that, is by giving tzedakah before davening. The Gemara tells us in Boba Basra, commenting in the Pesach, I see your face um, in tzedek, in righteousness. So before you see a Kodesh face, before tefillah, you're supposed to give tzedakah. It says in uh, Mishnaburah, I think, you're supposed to give tzedakah in the part of Ayvarach David, Ha'oisha, Koven um, wealth and honor are before you, and you control everything. So, and demonstrating In fact we believe that Kaddish Baruch Hu controls everything I give tzedakah right before, you know, right before Tzvila. By giving tzedakah, you cultivate this attitude of mishpat. How? Because when I show a Kaddish Baruch Hu, I have everything I need, I even have extra. I have more than I need. So much so that I'm confident that I'm, you know, I'm comfortable sharing that with others. That itself, that's, that, that demonstration of confidence shows that, I'm, you know, that, that I can praise the Kaddish Baruch Hu for giving me that which I need in order to accomplish my mission. If that's the case, that I feel comfortable, confident, batuach, that the Kaddish Baruch Hu is giving me what I need in order to accomplish my mission, why am I davening? What's the purpose of davening? What's the impetus to daven? The answer is, and this is where kind of goes in that direction, the answer is, is that now a person is davening for a whole different reason. Not even shevach not pakasha, a person is diving to the from the circumstance of his own life. a Baruch Hu, help me understand what you want from me. Kaddish Baruch Hu, help me understand what my mission is. What am I supposed to do with the things that you have provided for me? And that connection, that dialogue now is what defines tefillah. It's not about a transaction. It's not only about praising a Kaddish Baruch Hu. If a person pursues those too much, you know, it can lead you in the wrong direction. You always have to find the balance, and that's really tricky. But if a person approaches tefillah with something, you know, kind of a higher road, that you've given me everything that I need but just help me understand from the circumstances dilemmas you know difficulties in my life what do you want from me what's my mission here what am I supposed to do so then that's a whole different kind of connection that a person creates through you. I think that's what Rabbi Nachman is driving at in a famous story I think we've mentioned it once before called the Maisa about Bitochen if you're familiar with the Maisa um, it's great I apologize but we'll view it briefly the Maisa of Bitochen is there's a king um, I think it's the last in the Sipuri but there's a Maisa of a king who has everything that he needs? He's so happy he can't believe anybody else in his kingdom would be as satisfied as he is. So he starts roaming around the kingdom, and he hears <coughs> most people by the windows. He eavesdrops, and he hears most of them are kvetching and complaining. Oh, I need this. Oh, I need that. The king owes me this. The king owes me that. I want to make a meeting with the king, fine. And that's what he expects. He gets to one house, and he hears a guy playing a fiddle. And he sees, he peers in the window. The guy's eating, he's dressing, he's drinking. He's besimcha mamish. He knocks on the door. The guy welcomes him with a smile. He says, Oh, would you like to come in? take some of the food and drink, and he sits, he brains with the king. In the morning, the king wakes up. He lets the king sleep there, you know, gives him lodging. When he wakes up, the king asks him, what do you do for Parnassa? So he says, I'm a fixer. I fix things. Every day I go out, I fix things, I take the money, I make that day, and I buy him this suda. So, fine. So the king goes back to the palace. The king says, I'll test him. So the king goes back to the palace. He makes a decree throughout the kingdom. Nobody can hire a fixer to fix anything. The guy goes out that day in order to, you know, earn his living, and no one will hire him. So he's roaming the streets, doesn't know what to do. And then he sees um, someone chopping wood, a rich man. So he goes over to the rich man he says, what are you chopping your own wood for? He says, I'll chop it for you. Fine. So he chops the wood, he gets paid his same daily wage, he goes home, he buys his food and his wine. The king comes by again, you know, happens to drop in. So he sees him pressing, you know, eating, drinking wine. He says, I, he said, how do you earn a parnassah today? He said, I heard the king made a decree that you can't fix anything. I know your job is a fixer. So he said, well, he wouldn't believe it, but I was walking by and this guy, you know. And I asked him, can I chop his wood? He gave paid me for the chopping of the wood. Fine. The next day, the king goes home. He makes a decree throughout the kingdom no one can pay anybody for chopping wood so the next day that guy goes out to work trying to find work the guy tells him I'm sorry I can't hire you to chop wood the king made a decree I can't hire you so then he sees someone cleaning a stable a rich man cleaning a stable so he offers him to clean the stable from that day and he'll pay him the wage fine he cleans the stable he pays the wage he goes home buys the food and the drink the king comes by again the king asks him how'd you make parnassa today he says I started cleaning stables and he's so happy and he's eating and drinking and everything's fine the king is so frustrated the king goes home he makes a decree no one can hire anybody to clean stables the next day the guy goes out looking for again. So this day, he tells me, you can't clean stables, can't chop wood, can't fix anything. So he decides, I'm going to rent myself out as a mercenary, you know, a, 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 a soldier. Fine, he enlists in the army, whatever. Um, so they give him a uniform and a sword, and he earns a parnasate that day. He comes home, he buys the same food, same drink. The king comes by, he sees him, you know, again, pressing away and for bringing. He says, well, how'd you do this? He says, I heard a decree, you can't clean stables, I heard about your whole story. So he says, well, I enlisted in the, you know, in the armed forces. They gave me a sword and I'm fine. So the king goes back the next day. king's make a decree. No one can pay the military today. You have to wait till tomorrow. The guy lives day to day, you know, hand to mouth. Fine. So the guy comes to work that day. The guy tells him, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to pay you by the end of the day. So the guy comes up with a chop. He says, you know, I have a sword. They gave me a sword. It's part of the uniform. I'm going to take off the metal from the sword and I'll sell that. The following day, when I'll get paid double. They're going to pay him. They just weren't going to pay him that day, so he said, "Tomorrow I'll get paid double. I'll buy back the medal, reattach it to the sword. I'm a fixer, after all. Reattach it to the sword, and everything will be fine." So that night, the king comes to his house, expecting the guy to be destitute, and there the guy is eating and drinking again. The king can't, king can't figure it out, so the king says to him, "What'd you do today? I heard they made a decree; they're not paying the military." So he said, "I cut off the metal from the sword, the whole story, He, he explains everything to him. I guess he didn't hop, You know, everything keeps turning out poorly, but I think that's part of the story too. But he explains to the king again." So, the king says, no, tomorrow I'm I'm finally going to get him. So, tomorrow, the king sends out a decree. There's a certain person who's been on death row. We're killing him today. And I want that soldier, you know, who's my friend. I want him to come, and he should be the one to be the executioner with his sword. Now, what did he do? He already cut off the metal from his sword. He replaced it with wood. I don't know if I mentioned that. He replaced it with wood in order so nobody should see in the sheet that it's empty. So, he replaced it with wood. He figured, tomorrow, when I get paid, double, I'll go back. I'll replace the metal. I'll put it back on the sword. The king, knowing that he doesn't have, actually have a metal sword, he has a wood sword, so he said, I'm going to get him. I'm going to make him, you know, be the execution on this guy who's Chayv Misa. So he summons the guy to the palace. He sees this guy, you know, who's been his guest all the time, and he's he's surprised, to say the least. And the king tells him, you have to kill this individual. He says, I've never killed anybody before. I've never decapitated a person, you know, with my sword. I'm new to the military. Are you sure you need me? He says, no, no, it has to be you. So he says, are you sure the guy's Chayv Misa? He said, maybe he's innocent. No, it's an open and shut case. The guy's is Chai Misa. You have to do it now. So the executioner goes up to the sage and he says, screams to the in front of the whole crowd who's <laughs> gathered. He says, if this person is really innocent, make a miracle that my sword should turn to wood. He takes out his sword. It's wood. The king has nothing to say at that point and he gets out of killing um, the individual, made it like a miracle. Now, what, and this is called a maimer al-Bitachon. If I were calling this, you know, naming, titling the story, I would have called it a Maimur about ingenuity, about resourcefulness, about perseverance. Why Bitachon? And what, obviously the king is a reference to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Why, is, as is usually, that's the connection. Why is Kodesh Baruch Hu testing him in this way? Why is he being such a protagonist, you know, anti- antagonist to our protagonist? Why, why is he giving him such a hard time? I believe what's happening is that our Kaddish is is trying to make him ask. Kaddish is trying. Wh- what did he want the person to do? He wanted him to daven. He wanted him to screen out for ask for things. To, you know, to his you know, that his composure should be shaken, and he should make a bakasha instead of only emphasizing the shebach, shebach, He's constantly praising Kaddish every day is fine. You know, Baruch Hashem every day. He wanted him to you know plead with him. So he was trying to emphasize din so much that he would force him into bakasha and into that world, into that balancing act, that double-edged sword of bakasha, shevach, bakasha, shevach, midas haddin requires more bakasha, things are difficult, I have to ask for more. because Baruch Hu was pushing him into that mold. But he avoided the whole thing how did he avoid the whole thing? Because he recognized that every step a Kaddish Hu has given me. That's why the Mayimah bitachon. Bitachon means a Kaddish has given me the resources that if I'll think, if I'll apply myself, if I'll put in the effort, I'll be able to accomplish the mission that Kaddish Hu wants from me at every step. And how did he cultivate that? By giving tzedakah to this individual who came to his house every night. Every night he's giving tzedakah. He's sharing that which he has. He gives hand to mouth. He's making the money, putting it on his plate every night, what he, you know, he eats what he makes and he's sharing it with somebody else when a person has that attitude of tzedakah he understands I live You know, reinforces the idea I live with mishpat because Rahu is giving me justice he's giving me the things that I need all he's doing is talking about the king every night about the things that he needs He's talking about his daily activities. Doesn't he realize if I keep disclosing this to the king that he's going to keep you know, making my life difficult? No, but that's about that relationship and the understanding that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given me the things that I need. In which case, it doesn't put Bittachon and Hishtavos as kind of like two spar- sparring partners. You know, more bitachon, less Hishtavos. What Bittachon really is about, and this whole story is about Hishtavos, what it means is Bittachon is about understanding and having confidence that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given me the resources that I need to accomplish my mission if only we could understand what the mission is. And that's what tefillah is about. That's the bakasha of tefillah that the person who davens with this attitude of mishpat engages in is asking kachbachu, kachbachu, help me understand what you want from me in this situation and how I should apply myself correctly. But never losing your composure. N- n- never losing your composure. Having that be talking. And that's obviously on its highest level. I think that's the meaning of a very tricky medrash, the Shabbat HaLevi made famous. But the medrash comments when Yosef is in the pit, uh, uh, when Yosef is in jail and he interprets the dream of the Saramashkim. So he says to the Saharamashim, remember me. He says, khartani, khartani, and because he asked the Saharamashram to remember him, he was punished, he had to spend an extra two years in jail. Yeah, we know the Medrish. But the perplexing part of the medrash, the difficult part of the medrash, the Medrish comments on the Paskim to Him, I great is the person, the the hero, who places his trust in Hashem, Ze Yosef. That's That's the continuation of the Pasik. He doesn't turn to those who are haughty or liars. That's Yosef. Because Yosef trusted in the Sarah Mashkin. Because he trusted in the Sarah Mashkin, he spent an extra two years in jail. And we all focus on that. All the Divrei Torah about this medrash is the extra that Yosef did. But where do you see in the medrash that Yosef was a Baal Bitochen. The medrash says, Ashtorei hagevich, Hashem Yosef. Where's Yosef? A Balbi Bitochen. So we assume in his history somewhere, he was a Baal Bitochen. Where is he a Baal Bitochen? How do you see from this mice with the Saramashram? He's a Baal Bitochen. He did too much ashtalas. We got that. But where do you see the Babi Bitochen? The answer is, because Yosef realized, why am I here in jail? And Yosef maintained his composure the whole time. He's walking, he's smiling at people, he's asking the guy, why are you frowning today? The Pesach said, when he's in the bar, the Pesach says, bar. they took him out of the pit. So the Ishbitzer writes in the May Shi Larch, I call this he also Pius. He was calm. He was calm in the pit. He was Marutza. He was appeased. He understood, I'm here for the mission that a Hu has for me. And because that was his attitude in jail, that was his attitude in the pit, he displayed Bitochen Being Bitochun not that he should sit on his hands. Bitochen is not necessarily at odds with his talus, but Bitochen is that a Hu has put me in this situation to interpret the dreams of the Saramashim, because I know by doing that it's going to bring me back or bring me, you know, to one step further on the journey that I have. So that's what, you know, the attitude that a person should approach, bitachon and feel. we usually don't think in the, in the, same, in the same, you know, um, are compatible or really related, but in this sense, I believe they are. And that is that when a person approaches tefill with the mindset of mishpat, of justice, so the mindset that he has is neither shevach nor bakasha. If a person lives in that world, which is the low world of tefillah, then I'm asking Kedush for that, which I need. When things are difficult, you've got to be very careful. That's a def- delicate balancing act. What happened to our hero in the story in the mindset of talking, What did he do with the sword? The sword was no longer a double-edged sword, which was dangerous. The sword turned into wood. The sword became harmless. He ignored the sword. He wasn't engaged in this tit for tat hadin, talking midas this bakasha. He understood he was calm throughout. He understood that Kojizbrachkhku was giving me the things that I need. if only we could understand what the mission that Kozbraku has for us is. And when a person approaches to feel with that kind of, of mindset that it's not as dangerous anymore. He doesn't have to kind of maintain this delicate balancing act between Bakasha and shabbat. He approaches the Kaizbrach with a conversation with the relationship, because it will help us figure out what you want from us.